0: Welcome to Stetsing. Hello, Vishnu.
1: Can you please talk about why was Osho Rajneesh so important to your spiritual awakening?
0: It's like the difference between uh, night and day. It's like someone comes into a dark room and you've, you've been in that dark room your whole life. And so all you know is darkness and you think darkness is normal. And someone switches on a light and all of a sudden you can see things that you couldn't see before. And you realize that you'd been in the dark room before you didn't even realize you're in the dark room, you're unconscious to it all. And all of a sudden you can see things. And one of the, <laughs> one of the things you see is how you operate, how your mind works, how, how dishonest you've been with yourself in so many different ways. Because there's so much light now. There's so much that can be seen that couldn't be seen before. So Osho came into my life when I was 28 years old. And I went and uh, lived uh, at the ranch in America, in Oregon, with him uh, for four months. And it was just like the lights came on. it was a complete change of life. It gave me a completely different understanding of how to be in the world and what direction to take in the world. Because up until that point, I had been a businessman and I'd been relatively successful. At the age of 28, I'd retired to a large degree. Um, Businesses running by itself. I didn't need to be there. I'd replaced myself. And I'd thought that it was all about, you know, winning. I was brought up in a capitalistic society and it was all about being successful and winning. And when I got to win, when I got to be at the top of my game, there was nothing there. It was hollow. It's like I'd been conned that um, all we have to do is win in life and we're going to be happily ever after then. It's just not true. And then Osho came into my life. And the lights came on. And a whole other world of adventure, and inward adventure, opened up. And uh, about three years after that, or maybe longer, maybe five years after that, I was with Osho for eight years altogether before he died. I started to find heart and that was another world again, which was a result of being with him because he opened me up enough or he showed me enough of me so I could open myself up that I started to experience unconditional love. And then another whole world opened up. The world of business in a lot of ways became repugnant to me and I wanted to be involved in helping people, or helping the planet, or helping plants, or helping animals, or helping any. It's just this is how the heart affects you. You just want to help things. You want to be in service. You want to take care of things. This is the way the heart affects the mind. And so, from night to day, was the difference with Osho, Osho Rajneesh coming into my life it was catastrophic <laughs> in that one of the things about seeing all this stuff about yourself is you start taking yourself apart. You start dropping things off like all the defense systems, all the things that are in the way of higher consciousness, you start removing them and, and it's, it's an undoing process. And so rather than a building up process bigger, better, and more powerful like personal growth. Spiritual growth or higher consciousness growth is an undoing process. You're taking things away. You're becoming less than rather than more than. And what an adventure that is. It takes you into your darkness big time pretty quickly. And we all have it. We all have pain bodies. We all have trauma. We all have... Parts of our mind that are unsavory. And the adventure is finding a way to be okay with all of those things. Finding a way to let go and be okay with everything. So he was my spiritual uh, teacher. And he was also my spiritual master and he was my spiritual father because he initiated me into higher consciousness. So you ask me how he affected me or what difference he made in my life. Wow. 180 degree turn. Thank you, Tosh.
1: How is it that you only spoke with Osho and met him in person uh, once, but he played such a big part
0: in in your life? It's true that I only spoke to him once and um, that was great. Uh, Amazing to be in the presence of someone who's awake and to be able to talk to them. It was a real gift. But up until that point, I had been listening uh, to his tapes and watching his videos and practicing his meditations. And even though I couldn't speak to him when I was at the ranch for four months, I could feel him. And then I spent the following year, I came came the following year as well and spent another four months at the ranch and did uh, his mystery school and I could feel him. And in his presence, there's so much, I could see, there's so much clarity. And this is what happens around awake people. Satsang allows clarity. It allows the mind to settle down, to open up. But getting close to him was very difficult because by the time I became a, a Rajni Sannyasin, uh, in 1983, he had hundreds of thousands of sannyasins. And when I went to the ranch uh, in 1984, I think there was like 20,000 people there. And so you'd have 20,000 people at satsang.
2: <laughs>
0: you couldn't get within 100 meters of him. But you could feel him. And to me, he was kind of like this, this god But he he wasn't a God. He was a man who had woken up. And there was a beingness there on display at Butterfield. And he was very charismatic. He was a great storyteller. And he mesmerized me into, into silence, into stillness.
1: Did the scandals and negative
0: press about Osho influence your love for him? No, not at all. Uh, I was there when all of that began. I was at the ranch and I interviewed him about that and asked him about it. And My impression that was that he didn't really know what was happening, that he'd been in silence for three or four years. And that all of these shenanigans had been happening without his knowledge. And, uh, I interviewed, uh, because I had a press card, I interviewed everybody involved that I could. And I got a strong impression that he really did not know what Sheila and her crowd were up to. Um, he, he was in silence and stillness. And we also got the impression while we were there that uh, his doctor had tried to inform him as to what was happening and his doctor had been poisoned a few times. And in a way it was all very shocking that uh, this had occurred, but I don't recall any point in time that I doubted Osha.
1: The next question has been written by Jennifer. There's a saying that goes something like, when the student is ready, the master appears. Can you speak to this?
0: Yeah. Well, now we're really moving into the unknown here because I don't know. (laughs) It seems to be true, but I just don't know. Unless something is my own direct experience and knowledge, i really put it in the maybe column. In the world of spirituality, there's so much rubbish. That's a good way of putting it. And it's best to trust your own experience, your own knowing. You can look where people are pointing. You can go, maybe that's true but the moment you take anything on as a belief system, you've put yourself into another prison. You're better off just trusting your own direct experience. So when the student is ready, the master will appear may be true. I don't really know. People don't like not knowing because it makes them feel insecure, but truly, Wonderment occurs in I don't know, in not knowing, in just being here with nothing. Try it.
1: The next question has been written by Roland. I went on a pastor retreat and came in contact with a spiritual master and I'm pretty sure that he made my body blow away with the wind. Did Osho ever talk about this?
0: So that would be from the mind's perspective, the mind witnessing the body. My experience around uh, awake teachers uh, was that my mind would disappear uh, and I'd still be there, but the mind was gone I was basically experiencing no mind. And with no mind, there was also no sense of body. There was just being here, pure awareness, without body or mind. And I found the same thing occurred in deep meditation. If I was meditating for long enough, I'd find the same place. Um, To find that place in meditation, quite often I'd have to meditate for hours in the presence of someone who is awake, like Osho Rajneesh. I could find it in minutes.
1: The next question. Do you think Osho's dynamic and Kundalini meditations helped you towards enlightenment?
0: Once again, I don't know. <laughs> but um, if, if I add it up, Uh, If I added it up properly, I would have probably done five years uh, dynamics and five years kundalini altogether, if we're counting it every day. Uh, Eventually, I found sitting was my preferred meditation, just sitting and watching the breath or sitting and watching the mind. But I did about five years kundalini and five years dynamic, and it kept me very fit. (laughs) <laughs> because if you put your totality into it, it's a good workout. I found that after doing those active-type meditations, I could sit quite easily. I could sit quite um, peacefully uh, because the, the meditation technique themselves allow you to let off anything that you're carrying. And so in that way, they're really, really good. Uh and I do advocate them uh, for people who want to clear house, who want to be able to sit, because trying to sit, if you're full of dense energy, doesn't work very well. You'll either go to sleep or you'll get up and distract yourself. But if you've had a good shake or a good dance, you find that you've let some things go, you can sit quite easily. And so I think they're great meditations. And... Um, great creation. Osho's understanding was that people were full of basically pain and full of this energy they'd created with the way they think and those active meditations were designed to let all that out to let it all purge and then be able to sit then be able to be silent and still and I think they're very I think they're very effective.
1: Next, uh, you would like to ask a question.
0: Hello, Abhayi.
3: Hi, Vishen. Uh Can you please explain uh, what does Osho mean when he says, I will be waiting for you for eternity, either in this body or out of the body? Um.
0: Yeah, you've got to understand that that's a bit of a play on words because Osho knew himself as beingness because he was awake, he was enlightened. And beingness was never born and cannot die. That's not possible. And so you could say, once you know yourself as truth, once awareness is aware of itself and enlightenment has occurred, you could say, I am eternal, because you're always, always, always here. And so in a way, talking from beingness, rather than talking from the body-mind, you could say, I'll be here forever. And it's true. It's true. But from the mind, from the body-mind perspective, well, that dies. Everyone dies. Everybody dies. But what we are, what we truly are, can't be touched by death because it was never born. And Osho was talking from that space. But I'll go a little further than that. As far as his message is concerned, as far as his message of the new man, Zorba the Buddha, that is still being transmitted through those sannyasins who have woken up and are teaching the teaching. It is still ongoing. His legacy is still here.
3: Thank you, Vishen. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Bye.
1: The next question has been written by Daisy. I have children under five years old. How can I keep them in awareness at a young age?
0: (laughs) I raised three children. And uh, look, I just let them be kids, you know. They came to my satsangs, they sat on my lap when I was holding satsang and they fell asleep on my lap while I was holding satsang. But they're just kids, so I let them be kids. They, they learn how to be free simply by watching their dad be free. <laughs> they copy us completely, you know. Everything we do, they role model off. And so it's not a bad idea to be a good person, to role model that to them. It's not a bad idea to be a spiritual person role model out to them, a person who's free, carefree, happy, squeezing the juice out of life, because they're going to copy you. (laughs) But uh, trying to control them, trying to make them more aware. I don't know. Let them be kids. Just let them play. If they're lucky, they'll learn to play for the rest of their lives. Unfortunately, most humans get serious at some point and become a little bit stuck. There's nothing to stop anyone from playing forever. Because what else is there to do on this, this blue ball that we're floating through space? But play. I'll raise your consciousness levels. Wake up and play. When people get serious, they get old in the mind so you get old. Stay loose, stay free, keep dancing, keep celebrating life and show them that.
1: <laughs> Next, Susha would like to ask you a question.
0: Hello, Susha.
3: Hello, Vishrant. Um, so Vishrant, there are lots of uh, meditations that Osho has that are guided and sort of hypnotic in nature. What are your thoughts on using them or not using them?
0: Well, I think there was a Osho book put out with 108 meditations in it, if I remember rightly. And uh, you can play with all, all of them if you want to. But... Ultimately, the best meditation is watching the mind. Um, Just being the witness of the mind. Because at some point in watching the mind, you find you are the watcher. You find you are that that's simply aware. And so in watching the mind, this is a methodology towards enlightenment in itself. In just being the witness, watching everything that's going on, you can try all the other ones if you want but you have to have a look at why you want to try all the other ones it's like for a lot of people meditation is boring and so they get a bit bored with one methodology and try another methodology it's not really about entertaining the mind it's about learning to put awareness on what is real and My favorite meditation used to be watching the breath because the breath is real. I used to just watch it. The mind would come in and deny it. And after a while I'd find no mind and just be there, nothing happening, no thoughts, just being. I was very fortunate and that happened quite early in the piece when I learned meditation at uh, Rajneesh Puram. And I started finding no mind, and I started to look at that. Afterwards, I go, well, I'm there, but the mind's not there. I'm present, uh, but there's no thinking. And so the thinking one is not who I am. There's something else here. What's this that I am? Who am I really? If I'm not the thinking one, who am I? Good question. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Vishwant.
1: The next question has been written by Jorge. I distract myself a lot and avoid going inward. Every time I try to turn in, it looks dark and pointless. I'm looking for this light that Osho speaks of, but I don't even know where to step.
0: Please comment. Okay. Jorge, Find yourself an awake teacher and go and sit with them. That's my best advice. You see, it's so hard to play this game without an awake teacher. Because it's like being lost in the jungle without a guide to get out. Find yourself an awake teacher, whether online or in person. And go and be with them, sit with them, and they'll show you. Because they have a presence that lights you up. And if you relax into that presence, you'll start perceiving that presence. And in that presence, you can find your own true nature. This idea that we have that we do it, we'll do it ourselves, our own way, is craziness. It's like, why wouldn't you want a guide to show you the way? Osho was a guide. He was a wonderful guide. Find yourself an awake person, someone who's mastered their own mind and is awake to show you the way. That is the best way. For any seeking.
1: Abe, you would like to ask your question.
0: Hello, Abe.
3: Hi, Vishan. Hello. Um, is it like Osho was something? Special or something different than other Awake people because the way people are affected or you know, get drawn to him from all parts of the world it doesn't seem to be so with other Awake people who were before Osho.
0: Osho claimed to be an ordinary man, and I agree. He was an ordinary man. He was an ordinary man who was awake. He was a Buddha. And all Buddhas are the same. The Buddha is not the person, is not the body, is not the mind. The Buddha is the energy field produced when awareness is aware of itself in a human being. And so the Buddha was there, and the Buddha is the same in all those who are awake. There isn't any different Buddhas. But that Buddha field can appear in a body that has a different personality. So Osho had a very charismatic personality. He was extremely intelligent. And he he was a man of his time. Uh, When he started promoting what he was doing simply by writing a book called From Sex to Superconsciousness, It was during the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s, and it just caught the wave that was already happening in the world. And a lot of people flocked to him. He was a man of his time and he was brilliant. But in his own words, he was just an ordinary man.
3: Okay, I think that was the interview you, uh, you had interviewed Osho and uh, this was the question there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Isha. Thank you very much. Okay.
1: The next question has been written by Bhagavi. These days, some fears are haunting me not able to be at peace. I'm lost in the marketplace, feeling lonely. I plan many things, but don't
0: execute. What do I do? Well, you might not like this piece of advice, but I uh, advocate acceptance and surrender. (laughs) You see, and neither of them are really a doing. They're a non-doing. It's all the doing that gets in the way of being. And so most human beings are are, are doing machines. They're not really being, they're doing. It's, it's about learning to not do. It's about learning to just be. And sure the mind has fears and it has all these other things that come up, but the way is to do something different and meditation is really, in a lot of ways, the art of being present to what is real and doing nothing. And so the Zen have this beautiful saying, sitting silently, doing nothing, spring comes and the grass grows by itself. But most human beings can't manage that. They have to do something. They're constantly wanting to do things. In your case, you're planning to do things and you're not doing them, but the planning itself is a doing. How about doing nothing? How about just being present? And see where that takes you.
1: The next question has been written by Roland. I haven't been working on my meditation. I haven't been working much at anything. I've heard you say that you need to have enthusiasm to become enlightened. When will I start to care enough about my family to see it through? It seems like since I've started down this path, my desire to do
0: things have lost their appeal. So that was a statement, not a question. in a lot of ways or just making a statement about how life is for you. I think you'd need to be a little bit more specific in your questioning.
1: The next question has been written by Manasa. To be in the Buddha field, is it necessary to be close to the awakened person physically? Being in India, how can I feel your Buddha field?
0: Tune in right now. The Buddha field is always here. Awareness is aware of itself. It is transmitted through the screen. I do not know how that occurs, but it does occur. Tune in. Relax, let go, let your mind expand, stop doing for a bit, and just let go and be, and feel what is here.
1: Next question, how did you benefit from OSHO's therapy encounter groups?
0: Yeah, I did a lot of uh, Mystery School with OSHO. Um, I was trying to add it up the other day, it was, uh, I think it was about 18 months all together in Mystery School, OSHO's Mystery Schools, um, doing different types of groups different types of therapies. And basically, they were all dismantling uh, the Vishrant, all taking the Vishrant apart, taking down different parts that were in the way, uh, having a look at limiting belief systems and removing them, uh, opening up. I, I mean, really, it's about opening up. And all of the groups that I did were about opening up uh, and finding uh, that silence still awareness that's inside. And so I can't say how much it did for me, except that it slimmed me down to nothing because it's an undoing process. It's not a doing up process. It's an undoing process until there's nothing in the way anymore. And so I I love the journey. It was wonderful, wonderful adventure, wonderful inward adventure. And uh, it didn't uh, finish when I stopped going to Osho's Mystery Schools. It continued until there was just nothing, nothing and nothing. Openness counts for everything.
1: Next, Abayd would like to ask you a question.
0: Hello, Abayd.
3: Hi, Vichan. Vishant, um, whenever I think about your satsangs, I mean, um, what it can be in the next satsang or something that has already happened, I feel like I'm tuning in to your Buddha field. So uh, I want to know if this is uh, something created by the mind trying to fool me or I'm really tuning in even just by thinking, about anything you have said or uh, anticipating or just imagining what can it be like next time?
0: Look, ultimately we are all everything. And the Buddha field that is here can be felt all over the world if you tune into it. But you can tune into any awake teacher and find out if you want. It's a frequency. And when you tune into it, you find your mind starts expanding. You start finding a certain stillness and silence and peace. And you're tuning into the Buddha field, but you're also tuning into your own true nature because you are that also. And it is always here. The Buddha field is here in, and it's currently in Perth city, West Australia but it's here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when I was, um, before I started holding satsangs, I was in tune with my teachers who were invited Vedanta teachers. And they would hold satsang on the East coast of Australia, which is 5,000 kilometers away, about three hours before uh, the time here, because it was a three hour time difference. And so, at four o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock in the afternoon, they'd be holding uh, satsang at seven o'clock on the East Coast or eight o'clock. And I'd be going in, I'd be pulled in because I was so tuned in to their energy field, I'd be pulled into satsang. And that was 5,000 kilometers away. And so I don't think there's a, there's a, there's a, a distance limit on beingness. You just have to tune into the frequency and let go.
3: Okay. okay, so so if I think about it, it's nothing like I am encouraging the mind to build stories or anything like that. You may be, I mean,
0: That may be what you're doing, but you may also be tuning in. The evidence will be in what happens to your mind. Does it start to become more peaceful? Does it start to expand what's actually happening to your own mind when you tune in?
3: okay i will observe that thank you very much thank you
1: the next question is as follows does osho's method of living fully in the world without being attached to it work when going for enlightenment
0: you know You can't live in the world as an ego and not be attached to it because it's the ego's nature to be attached to everything. The only way to go beyond detachment is to wake up. (laughs) The ego tries to not be attached, and then it gets attached to not being attached. It's, It's the nature of the ego to be attached. You want to go beyond, you have to find yourself as truth. You have to find that that is aware and become aware of it. And then, everything drops away. Because it's obviously not real, and it's really clear that anything you hang on to is gonna hurt you. You hang on to nothing. So people start finding beingness by turning awareness back to itself, and they try and hang on to that. Well, the moment you try to hang on to that, you go back to ego-based reality. You cannot hang on to anything Find yourself as pure awareness by turning awareness back to itself. And the mind, let's go.
1: Next question has been written by a viewer. How is it that so many people come, came to Osho, and also come to you, and seem to be? so into the teaching and meditations, but leave fairly quickly. They are often the most enthusiastic of all
0: attendees. (laughs) They find out how hard it is. (laughs) You see, one of the problems with getting close to someone who's awake is everything that's inside of you will start to come out. You know, everything that you've been sitting on, everything that you've repressed is likely to start coming out and it becomes uncomfortable because you have to deal with your own pain body, your own traumas. And and this is what people don't get. They come to a teacher and they're all, they're rafting. They're all defended. They're all enthusiastic. And they come and they're in this great, they're sitting on this raft above all their stuff and they're feeling good. And they come in front of someone who's awake Their mind starts expanding, their coping mechanisms start disappearing. And before they know it, they're starting to feel this uncomfortable stuff that's arising, which they've been keeping prisoner inside of themselves. And so the dark night of the soul, as Jung put it, starts to appear. Everything has to come out. The body needs, the body and the mind need to become satvik, And so you come around an awake person world, and that happens. Everything starts coming out. But people aren't looking to be uncomfortable. So they start getting uncomfortable and they run away. And they they go try finding it somewhere else where it's comfortable. There is nothing comfortable about dealing with your own wounding, with your own darkness. It is uncomfortable. And it is for the courageous. This is why all teachers teach acceptance because you have to accept what's happening to you. You have to accept this as it leaves. You have to accept that you're going to go into the darkness, that you're going to see things about yourself that you're really not gonna like. You don't actually survive as this raft that you've produced, that you present to the world as you. That doesn't happen. That gets dismantled and you get to be vulnerable. And so people who come enthusiastic, who are rafting, quite often run away when they find out how hard it is or it starts getting uncomfortable for them. And they'll say all sorts of things about teachers and teachings because they don't have the courage to face what's inside of themselves. This game of higher consciousness is for the brave.
1: Next, Divya would like to ask a question.
0: Hello, Divya.
2: Hi Vishant. Um, When you were just speaking about courage then, I was immediately um, caught by that because I'm finding in my current situation where I'm waiting for a final diagnosis on something that may be very serious. And still I find that <clears throat> I'm wasting time, or I perceive it as wasting time. I'm I meditate every day and have done for quite some time, but I'm not a quote good meditator. I drift off a lot, and I just I just want to know how to get that courage and that lift off to do this more intensely, given that I'm older now, obviously, and time is time is running short it was anyway but now i have this potential diagnosis in front of me it's like it's really important that i get this now am i just putting another doing thing on me on myself or yeah what what do i need to oh yeah okay
0: how about sitting and doing nothing
2: i find that very very difficult even still
0: (laughs) most people do but that's That's it. If you can sit and do nothing, you're headed in the right direction. It's our constantly doing that distracts us. And we're wanting to do higher consciousness. You don't do higher consciousness. You get higher consciousness by watching the mind, which is doing nothing.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Or just sitting, just sitting and being. And everything presents itself to you. This idea that we have to go somewhere, we have to do something, that drives us crazy. That's what we've been programmed to do, to become efficient machines where we do things constantly. But you want to raise your consciousness levels, sit still. Yeah. Just be quiet. You do you don't, you can sit still anywhere, you can sit still in the car on your lounge chair, down the beach, in a cafe, at a hospital, in a hospital room. You can just sit still instead of constantly entertaining yourself.
2: Yeah, okay, I've been hearing this for 50 years in one form or another, <laughs> and still I don't do it. What What stops me from doing it? What stops you from, I mean, I do do it, but what stops you from being total in doing it?
0: Well, you're running true to your default patterning. You were never programmed to sit still. You are never programmed to be a meditator. You were never programmed to be happy for that matter. You were yeah. programmed like everybody else to be an efficient little machine. And yeah. so you're running true to your default patterning of having to do to get. And we don't yeah. need to do anything to know ourselves as beingness because we already are that. You are already at your final destination. There's nowhere to go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that would be helping me to die before I die.
0: Well, it is a practice of dying. It's true. Let go is a practice of dying.
2: Yeah. Okay. And you you. you give up everything
0: if you want to sit still. You give up everything. You give up survival, and Mm. you just sit still. The 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 need to survive or the wanting to survive drives us you know endlessly you give that up too. just sit still be quiet it's nice
2: i mean when we're in saying i can do that i can let go of everything and just completely be and it is really beautiful but when i'm doing it on my own i feel this fear come up every time that nearly to every time i start to go really deeper i feel this fear and something stops
0: yeah so stay still and let the fear do what it does. And if you witness the fear, eventually it'll go away. Okay. You just watch it. You just watch it. You just watch it. It'll wear itself out.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Divya.
1: The next question has been written by Daisy. Is asking the question, am I aware, sufficient enough for self-inquiry?
0: I used to like uh, the question, who's aware, or what's aware, better. Because once you discover what yourself has awareness, even small satori, you realize it's not an I, it's not a person. It's more of a what (laughs) than a who. And so I used to ask the question, what's aware? And uh, I I did self-inquiry for so long and so many times, eventually I even took out the word what and just said aware, and awareness would turn back to itself. But that was after a fair bit of practice. And so what's aware is, is, is probably the best.
1: The next question is from a viewer. Osho sometimes said, easy is good. Can you please clarify this saying? Uh, What did he say?
0: What's good? Easy is good. Easy is good. (laughs) Easy is good, I agree. Why would I want to clarify? It's obvious, (laughs) easy is, is good. Hard is not so good. The big problem with uh, easy and hard is that anytime we offer resistance to anything, we make it hard. And we can offer resistance to almost anything and make it hard. If we wanna make things easy, let go. Stop offering resistance, surrender.
1: The following question has been written by Jennifer. I've noticed during satsang, how the mind starts to settle. I drop into my body easier. I notice how much tension and pain it holds from all of the resistance and traumas of life. I'm able to start letting go and relaxing. It feels like, it sometimes feels like I'm riding an edge. And if I relax a little more, all of the tensions will melt away and I'll disappear. It feels so close and so far. I wonder what happened to your body or biology when you first became awake?
0: Uh, When awaking occurred, I sat still. Uh, I was so profoundly silent And so profoundly still, I sat still for about six months. And during that period, uh, I lost everything. Uh, In the material world, it all went away. Uh, Lost my money, my reputation, my business, my client base because I was working as a naturopath, psychotherapist. Um, Clients would turn up and they'd sit there and I wouldn't talk, they'd go away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not come back and my wife left and she took the kids everything left but nothing moved inside just this profound silence and stillness that was just so vast the body uh, atrophied to some degree because of lack of exercise um, and then I was invited to come back out in the world by one of my teachers, and I did. I came back out into the world and started to um, practice being human again because I'd stopped in a lot of ways appearing human, in that I used to just stare into space for hours on end without blinking because my mind was just totally quiet and resting in beingness. And so I had to learn to blink <laughs> and look away when I talked to people so I didn't frighten them by staring at them for too long. Awakening was very profound. The body relaxed completely it's like it's like it's limp pretty much all the time. It's so relaxed because the mind is relaxed. And if you look at that, that's just vulnerability, really. And it's really beautiful to rest in that. Truth, consciousness, bliss, Sat Chit
1: The next question has been written by Roland. When images and thoughts pop into the mind, should I watch them and allow them to pass on their own accord? Or should I change attention away from them to see what I can, to what I can see or feel? Do I watch my thoughts or ignore them.
0: Okay, so look, for me, I I fell in love with reality I I prefer to have my awareness on what is real rather than on what I think. And so present moment awareness to what is real was quite important to me, even as a boy. Uh, I also advocate watching the mind because in watching the mind, you get to see through it. You get to see, all its defense systems, all its belief systems, all its hidden agendas, you get to see what it's really like. So in watching the mind, we become more conscious of the mind. And because we're more conscious of it, instead of reacting, we can start responding. But it's up to you. What works best for you is what's good for you. What was good for me was present moment awareness. I just love being with what was real. I didn't like living in my head i didn't like dreaming i wasn't that interested in thoughts people are different what works for you is going to be best for you
1: the next question has been written by manita hi vishrant there might be pain bodies trapped in us how to bring that darkness to light by accepting everything as it is, accepting unhealed parts as it is. Please guide.
0: If you've got pain body in the body, um, if you've got trauma, it will be triggered constantly, pretty much. And you'll have a whole pile of defence systems that come into play to stop you from feeling it, stop you experiencing it. Allow yourself to feel it. Stop the defense systems because you will be getting triggered by life. It's just how it is. If we're in the world, we're going to get triggered. Life can be a great teacher to us. It can show us where we're, we haven't shown up inside ourselves yet with uh, love and acceptance. Just take away the defense systems. You notice yourself contracting, notice self going into resistance to something. Stop resisting. Stop contracting. See where that takes you. It's an adventure. Undo the defense systems and see where it takes you.
1: The next question has been written by a viewer. What advice would you give to someone in their early twenties who feels like they aren't achieving their true potential in life? And do you believe the common notion of making goals and achieving them And continually pursuing this cycle is beneficial.
0: What advice would I give to someone in their 20s? Live life to the max. Don't waste a second of it because you might not have much left. (laughs) We live in this world of illusion where we think we've got a later. We don't know that. That's just a dream we're having. Squeeze the juice out of life. Celebrate life to the max. And become a meditator. Watch your mind. That's my advice to the youth. <laughs> Don't waste a moment of it. Thank you for sat Good to see you brave hearts here today.